Welcome to the Turn on the Jets pregame report. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at BlayLegaJet1. Joined as always to talk about the Jets' upcoming game. This one is against the Houston Texans at home at MetLife Stadium, but it's a special day, Saturday, 4.30 p.m., and this is why we're doing this show early. Normally it's on a Friday, but this week it's on a Thursday because the game is on a Saturday instead of a Sunday. Mr. Daryl Slater from NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media. What's going on, Daryl? Not too much, man. Not too much. Short week for you, so I guess this is the beat writer equivalent of when the players have to come back and play on short rest. Much like the players, you have to cram six days worth of work into five days, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, there was no physical activity involved in us uh, <laughs> doing anything we do for work, so um, so certainly no uh, rebound period from that. But uh, but yeah, a little bit of a shorter week, and at this point anyway, I mean, most of the stuff we're writing is big picture uh, forward-looking stuff anyway. Obviously, the Jets won last week, but it's not like they're in playoff contention. So no one is really all that interested in the ins and outs of this particular game, really. I mean, it, I think it'll be fun for people to get to see J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson, who the Jets could have drafted, and uh, Jadavian Clowney and, and some of the good players in this Texas defense and how Sam Donald performs against this Texas defense. But outside of Sam Donald and how he does in this game and his progress, I don't think there's a lot of interest in in the game in particular. So, um, you know, a lot of the stuff this week, very much forward-looking in terms of draft, free agency, and, and the coaching search. Darrell, let's start by talking about the straw that stirs the drink around the Jets right now, Sam Darnold. He's leading the NFL in interceptions right now with 15, but it doesn't seem to phase him. Yeah, no, I think he, he would prefer to not throw them, but um, he said this week that it's not going to affect his mindset going forward in terms of if he throws an interception, um, he's not it's not gonna make him hesitant to take a shot if it's if it's there in the right situation. Um, and so I think that's that's the right mindset for a young quarterback to have. You don't want your young quarterback to get skittish, you want him to remain confident, you know, confident but um, um, composed and, and 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 you know not over the top risky. Um, you want him to remain you know prudent but confident. Um, and I think Sam Darnold at times has forced passes this year, and he recognizes that, that he has at times done that, and that you, know, you really can't do that at this level. You think about the, the interception he threw in Buffalo where he basically gave away a field goal opportunity, what would have been a long field goal but opportunity, but one certainly that's makeable for Jason Myers in the year that he's having. But um, but that was a pass that was, you just can't make that pass. It was, it, was a, it was a dumb pass, and he recognizes that, Sam Darnold does. But um, there are other situations where you know he, he's, he's not going to let – uh, and an interception effect him going forward in terms of his aggression, uh, aggressiveness, aggression, however you want to put it. So, yeah, I think that's a good good mindset to have for him. For sure, and especially now that he's healthy, or at least it would appear that he's healthy. He did come out of the game on Sunday against the Bills and then came back. Any news? Is there some lingering effect going on with him at all? And also anybody else on the team that we should be aware of right now? Yeah, he's fine. He missed the one series it was the same foot that he had been dealing with the strain in. Um, this is like a different kind of part, different part of the foot, I guess, that he tweaked in the game, uh, according to what Tom Bowles said after the game. And But, yeah, it was, it was only one series that he missed. He came back in the game. He practiced fully all week this week. The injury report comes out today, um, so he'll, he'll be good to go. But in terms of other guys, I mean, Quincy and Nunwa could miss this game based on their practice perform, uh, participation so far. So, um Looks like the Jets could be going with Elon McGuire and Trenton Cannon. Um, but, yeah, probably no Crowell, probably no Quincy and Nunwa. 
Um, Jordan Jenkins looks like he could miss this game based on the fact that he didn't practice the first two days, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. As we mentioned, Thursday is really a Friday. Today is really a Friday in terms of the equivalent of uh, uh, with games normally on Sunday. Um, so this Saturday game being uh, yeah, Thursday is normally a Friday. So Gruel, Jordan Jenkins, Quincy Inunua, those would be the main guys uh, who, who would not play. Jeremiah Tatu has a concussion, but he's obviously not a, not a significant player in terms of playing a lot on defense. But looks like Trent Cannon and Eli McGuire, they're battling a little bit of injuries, but they should be good to go. Moving on from the injuries, Daryl, let's talk a little bit about penalties. They've been a persistent problem for the Jets this year. Your colleague Matt Stipulkowski wrote a piece identifying the key culprits as far as the penalties have gone this season for the Jets. What did he find? Yeah, the Jets actually have, you know, as a team, they have not had as many penalty issues as they did last year. They're 20th in the league in terms of most penalties uh, this year. Last year, I think they were 8th. So they've cut down on that quite a bit. Obviously, it was a big problem um, for them a couple, a couple weeks ago against the Titans in Tennessee. They had... Um, they killed themselves with penalties. But in terms of the guys who have uh, committed too many of them, I mean, Kelvin Beecham is right at the top of the list. He has seven, but then also two of them have been declined. He's got five offensive holding penalties and four false starts. Um, Jordan Jenkins has got, if you count the decline, he actually has no decline penalties. He's got five. Uh, Brandon Shell's got five. It's two false starts, two offensive holdings for Shell. Um, you know, Morris Claiborne has got uh, five. Six defensive holdings and a pass interference. Uh, actually, yeah, not five, uh, seven. Morris Cleburne is seven if you count the declined and offsetting. So, so really, Beaton's up there with nine at the top of the list. Claiborne's right there with seven. Um, and so, yeah, there have been a couple guys who have had penalty issues. I mean, Buster Screen, a guy who's had a ton of penalties in his career, actually only has four this year. Roughing the pass, one, one each of roughing the pass, or defensive pass interference, defensive holding, and face mask. So, it's actually been a pretty decent year for him, penalty-wise. Um, but Kelvin Beach, and the fact that, you know, five offensive holding calls, um, holding calls, I mean, it's, it goes without saying it's offensive. <laughs> uh, five holding calls and four false starts. Um, that, you know, that works against him. I mean, Beecham's had an interesting year. I think kind of, if you look at this, he, he's actually been a pretty good pass blocker if you look at PFS metrics, but not good at all against the run and has had too many penalties. So it'll be interesting to see what the Jets do with him because he turns 30 next summer. They obviously need to get younger on the left side of their line. Do the Jets keep him around at $9.5 million next year with the cap hit? Or, or do they cut him and they just have to eat a $1.5 million dead money figure? So, that's an interesting decision regarding Beecham as kind of an offshoot to this penalty discussion as a guy who's been the Jets leader in penalties because he's been good in some areas but um, not good in others and he's not getting any younger. So, and, But who's, who's the replacement? That's the question as you look toward the draft uh, most likely because you're not going to get an elite offensive tackle in free agency. So some questions there for the Jets as it relates to one of their top penalty uh, getters, if you will. Daryl, quick dive into the mailbag, which you can check out right now at nj.com slash jets. There's a very handsome and intelligent gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment, but I believe he asked you a question about your favorite food stops this season with the Jets when you've been on the road. What was your answer? That was you, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, yeah, it was one of the better questions we've had in the mailbag, and, uh, I, I kind of gave a little rundown of, of some of the food highlights of the years we've talked about on here, but um, Chicago, I think, takes it for the for the best overall food city. I, it's an awesome food city right up there with New York, and um, there's a few 
places I mentioned specifically in there, um, Duck Duck Goat is a great Chinese place in Chicago. Little Goat is related to that, and that's kind of an upscale diner. Um, we went to a great place called Beatnik um, in Chicago, and, and, and which is kind of a, a really nice uh, American food. And then uh, Cortino, which is an awesome Italian restaurant. So there's a whole rundown in there of uh, specific places. And then some of the other cities, I didn't really get into the weeds of the specific spots that we went to, but... Um, but certainly, you know, the highlight, you know, Nashville's barbecue and hot chicken was great. Um, I didn't mention it even in there, but, you know, the chili dogs, of all things, in Detroit are really, really good. Um, so we, we had a nice uh, run of food experiences this year from the fancy stuff to the not-so-fancy. And uh, But I think Chicago takes, takes, takes it for the best food city. So the Windy City comes in at number one, certainly above where I would assume Minnesota would come in if you had gone on the road to Minnesota this year. Minnesota was not one of your stops because they came in to play the Jets here. And we got a look at John Filippo, who had been on the Jets staff years ago, was the hot name because he was the quarterback's coach with the Philadelphia Eagles. Then he became the offensive coordinator for the Vikings this year. Things did not go so well. The offense went from number 11 last year under Shermer to number 22 this year. And the rushing attack went from number 7 last year to number 32. A disastrous performance on Monday night on national television against the Seahawks. And bye-bye John Filippo. He goes from being one of the hottest head coaching candidates before the season started to now probably going to have to hope that somebody else takes him on as an offensive coordinator elsewhere. In the mailbag, somebody asked you about whether or not the Jets, despite the firing, might still consider Filippo as their next head coach once they get rid of Todd Bowles at the end of the season. There's no way the Jets would do that, right? I think it's highly unlikely. I mean, you look at the Vikings right now, they're 17th in offensive DVOA, and, um, and they have Kirk Cousins, and who's had a pretty good year, but um, DeFilippo just has not been able to come up with any kind of balanced offensive attack there. The team is 6-6-1. Six, six, and one. They're, on the, they're clinging to that second wild-card spot. Um, the expectations were enormously high, and for, for various reasons um, related to their offense, they have not been able to, um, to, to meet those expectations. I mean, they have the, the sixth-best defensive DVOA, in, in, in football, but their offense hasn't been able to, to hold up its end of the bargain. So I don't think I would be surprised. And I, I don't think DiFilippo, John DiFilippo, will be a, a legitimate coaching candidate for the Jets. I think I'm sure they'll look at Mike McCarthy, and if John Harbaugh gets fired, I'm sure they'll look at him. I think he'd be a good option. Um, I'm sure they'll look at, um, you know, maybe a guy like Matt LaFleur if you're talking about a young offensive coordinator type. But I think at this point, given what happened with Filippo this year and given how things ended for him in Minnesota, I, I don't think he's a realistic candidate for them. If they do hire him, I'm sure they'd take a ton of heat for it, and rightfully so. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't see it happening. We'll talk about this more once Todd Bowles actually gets fired and the coaching search gets underway. But here's the name I'm throwing out there. I have no idea if the Jets are going to be interested, but they very well should be considering his history and the fact that I think he's a perfect fit for what they're looking to do. Keep this name in the back of your head. Chris Peterson, the head coach at Washington. That's the guy that I really think they should take a hard look at. But like I said, Daryl, we'll talk more about that once Todd Bowles is officially fired, which should happen right after the season ends. In the meantime, though, let's talk about another guy whose future with the Jets could potentially be in doubt. That's Leonard Williams. This was another question from the mailbag. 
What should the Jets do with Leonard Williams? Because D-Day is coming. They had picked up his option, so he's here next year. I think he's getting paid something close to $15 million, but then they have to decide whether or not they want to pay him long-term. Would it be a good idea to shop him in the offseason if they could get a second-round pick or higher move him? This was the question from the mailbag. This will obviously change depending on what happens over the rest of the season and what demand will be in the offseason if they were to shop him. But as of right now, what is your hunch? Do you think that they will look to trade him? And if so, do you think they'll be successful the way they were with Sheldon Richardson? I mean, they should look to. Uh, you look at his so his salary cap number next year is set to be fourteen point two million dollars under the fifth year option, um, which is a one year contract thing. That doesn't even become fully guaranteed until next uh, March. So technically, they could cut him and clear the entire amount from the fifth year option. They're, they're they're probably not going to do that. They would prefer, I'm sure, to try to look to trade him if they can get a second round pick, considering they don't have any second round picks right now they should pull the trigger on it now i don't know if they will he's had an underwhelming year in terms of his pass rush hasn't been able to finish off enough sack opportunities um and so i don't know if maybe the ceiling is a third round pick for london williams so in, in that case you have to think long and hard about it so the one option is presuming they don't want to sign him long term so if they do want to sign him long term they need to figure out how much money um they're willing to give him. And then those conversations typically happen, you know, starting next summer or entering the player's fifth year. Um, oh, and even, even after that, as you saw with Muhammad Wilkerson a few years ago, where they went through the fifth year and then, um, got to the point of almost tagging him. And they, and they, uh, I think they did tag. I can't remember exactly. Um, but, uh, but they, they, they agreed it was a long-term contract in that, in that year going into his sixth year. So, but, but, but let's assume that they don't want to keep Leonard Williams because then, then it's a little more complex. Because um, if they do want to keep him, they just assign a value and they, and they sign him. But if they don't, do you trade him this offseason or wait? So if you trade him this offseason, you're looking at uh, trading him away to a team that's going to get him for one year and $14.2 million and then probably will want to sign him long-term since they're giving something up for him. If you wait, and then tra- then franchise tag him in 2020 and trade him. That number is higher. I, I'm not sure what the franchise tag for a defensive end is going to be in 2020, but it's going to be significantly higher than the 14.2 that he will make next year if he's you know wherever he winds up. So that will probably mitigate what you can get unless he has an enormous year next year. That'll probably mitigate what you can get for him in a trade because the team is going to have to make a bigger monetary commitment to him um, in terms of whatever they pay him in a long-term deal uh, based on the baseline of that franchise number, right? So um, probably you're not going to get as much back for him because the team's already going to have to give him so much money. So I think the Jets' best bet is to try to, if they don't want to keep him long-term, try to shop him this offseason, see if you can get a second-round pick for him. If you can, do it. Um, I don't know if they can at this point. Um, Leonard Williams has been a solid but completely unspectacular player who has not lived up to being drafted six overall. Um, and he's been very good at, at times in certain areas. He's good against the run. He's been somewhat effective as a pass rusher, but not nearly enough. You know, he hasn't finished enough sack opportunities. And so, you know, that all boils down to, um, you know, a team that needs more sacks in the Jets, and they, they haven't been getting it from him. They haven't gotten it from him. They were hoping that this year could be the year. He's faced a lot of double teams. Um, but but unfortunately for him and unfortunately for the Jets, he has not turned the corner in that regard. He's not separated himself as one of the elite 3-4 defensive ends in the NFL. So 
um, the Jets the Jets need to figure out what they're going to do with him, um, especially if they're going to, you know, if they if they draft an elite edge rusher next year in the draft, maybe they can maybe they can have a guy who can free up opportunities for Leonard Williams because they currently don't have that. So there's a lot of factors here, um, but I think that they would be smart to at least listen to some offers this offseason uh, and see. 14.2 million is a high number for next year. He's not a lock to be around. They could cut him, like I said. It was clear the whole cap number. It's probably not happening, but um, they'd be it'd make more sense to get something for him in a trade if they wanted to get rid of him. Um, but fourteen point two is a high number if, if they keep him at that number next year. But remember, the cap is going to go up to about one hundred ninety million dollars. So you have to look at all these salary numbers, uh, cap hits as percentages of the cap. So fourteen point two is a high number right now, and it will be next year, but not, not as high in terms of the percentage of the cap, especially since the Jets have so much cap space already. So that's sort of where I fall on that. Definitely a situation that bears monitoring down the stretch. Curious to see how Leonard Williams responds to the chatter going around right now with fans saying that he's not worth the number six pick, that he's overrated, that he shouldn't be paid. Is he going to respond by having some big games down the stretch, and will it start this Saturday against the Houston Texans? Could be a perfect statement to pick at StatementGames.com where you pick 10 statements of things you expect to happen in a game. So, for instance, one statement could be Leonard Williams will have a sack. Another one could be Sam Darnold will throw two touchdowns. You pick 10 things that you think will happen as statements, and then you play. You're playing against myself and the rest of Team TOJ. If you win, you have an opportunity for some really great prizes. Go ahead and sign up right now if you haven't already at StatementGames.com. I actually think the Leonard Williams one of him having a sack against the Texans is going to be one of my statements because I think that he's going to respond big this Saturday against the Texans at home at MetLife Stadium. And Daryl, as we move on to our mindless predictions, I'm going to say that even though it's at home and even though the Jets got that big win last week against the Buffalo Bills and even though the Texans lost last week against the Colts, the Texans are just too good for the Jets and they're going to end up winning this game. I see this one as being something along the lines of 24-14. I think that the Jets will keep it reasonably close, and Donald will have some decent moments. But in the end, the Texans are just the better football team, Daryl. So I'm going to go 24-14 Texans. What do you think? Yeah, I'll say 27-17 Texans. You're right. They're they're just uh, they're they're a better team. You know, coming off a loss, obviously. But you're talking about nine and fourteen versus a four and nineteen. Um, yeah, I just don't see it happening for the Jets this week. So it'll be four and ten for them, and all the folks who are rooting for draft position will uh, <laughs> be happy uh, about that. Uh, but you know, obviously, the main storyline is how does Sam Donald play against a really good defense? Second straight week, he's playing a really good defense, so that'll be that'll be interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, I don't see the Jets winning this game. I think they lose by tenish. Uh, we'll say twenty-seven seventeen. Speaking of draft position, and we'll get into this a lot more when the draft gets closer. But with Nick Bosa likely out of consideration for the Jets because of their win last week, one guy you may want to consider taking a deep look at is Josh Allen. Not Josh Allen, the quarterback from the Buffalo Bills, but Josh Allen, the pass rusher. And I'm already going to start with this nickname, just in case the Jets draft him, Josh.0. That's the nickname that I'm giving him. So if the Jets draft him, that's what I'm going to be calling him from day one. If the Jets don't draft him, I'm probably not going to care and won't give him a nickname. But just remember that. I'm the first one to say that as a nickname if the Jets do end up drafting him. Daryl, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to reading your work 
after the game against the Texans and talking to you again on Monday to wrap up the game. But there's plenty up there right now, and there's going to be plenty more tomorrow and even Saturday morning before the game. So why don't you go ahead and let everybody know what you and Matt Stipulkowski have cooking over there. Yep, we got a bunch of stuff up there right now. We got the mailbag. We got our uh, weekly predictions. We'll have a Q and A with Quincy, and then we'll up there tomorrow in terms of you know, talking to him about the frustrations of the contract year. Uh, we'll see if he plays Saturday. It looks like he's dealing with an ankle injury, so he might not play. Um, but there's plenty up there for you guys to read as you get ready for Saturday afternoon's uh, game against the Texans. Thanks, Daryl. Looking forward to talking to you on Monday. In the meantime, make sure you read Daryl and Matt Stipulkowski over at NJ.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. Turn on the Jets Digital and turn on the Jets.com.